G'day mates, and welcome to the Tool Assisted Podcast. This is your host, The 8-Bit Beast, and today is the 29th of March, 2019. Today we're talking about Tire 2 Bush Rescue for the Game Boy Advance. This is a little bit different from the main series, and it's more like a 2D platformer rather than the 3D collectors on, on the GameCube PS2 type of consoles. And we're with Mittens today, who has recently made a Taz with me helping him a little bit. How are you today, Mittens? I'm, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. So how did you get into speedrunning mittens and gaming in general, I suppose? Oh, uh, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in gaming, I guess. I had a Game Boy as a kid and played Pokemon like crazy. And then uh, an N64 uh, scene thereafter. So that and then PS2 during high school was like my big thing. But um, if you're wondering about speedrunning specifically, like I had known about GDQs, but um, it was kind of, I had graduated from my undergrad at in college just uh in 2014 and i was like kind of working but also kind of had a lot of time on my hands so i ended up uh going back and checking out speedrunning again and kind of getting started and the first game i actually ever sped did a speedrun of was uh cubivore uh do you know that game i think i did see a speedrun i've never played it though yeah, it's not a good speed game, but it's it's a really re- weird game uh, and like pretty interesting. So, <laughs> mm. but it's like a puzzle type of game, isn't it? Yeah. So you go around as this creature and you uh, eat smaller creatures or same size creatures, like p- body parts off of them, and they give you different colors, and you have to like, combine colors to do certain things, and then you just like progress through the world. It's like, I don't know, it's really slow paced. There's a lot of text and um, cutscenes and stuff. So it's, and you just move really slow. <laughs> so that was uh, sort of my entry. And then uh, I quickly stumbled on banjo speedrunning and got involved in that. And then from there, uh, ended up doing some work on um, disassembling the game and building like a practice ROM and working on script talk uh with isotage and kind of building up the bk module and that and that kind of led me into uh tassing cool yeah so you're leaning more towards science side of stuff and tassing rather than rta these days and i think a lot of people will know you from your rta career in banjo kazooie so with no rva the best category according to some people <laughs> yeah i i really uh pushed uh for pe- more people trying out that category because i i like that one a lot you just go fast the whole time but yeah definitely these days um kind of busy with school so being able to you know don't really have a whole lot of time to sit down and do like two hours worth of runs but you know i can spend 30 minutes or an hour uh doing science stuff or tassing so that's fun and and actually so funny story uh back in middle school with my uh n64 I got really into using the Game Shark to hack uh, Legend of Zelda, and I started learning all about pointers and stuff. So in some ways, like I started out in the science stuff, and then like kind of forgot about it, or you know, just like got bored with it, and then eventually found my way back. So I think there was always a tendency to go that route. So you were like making Game Shark codes for Zelda, way? Yeah, basically, like it was at a point. It would probably be early two thousands when like a lot more discovery was going on in that game. So you could go on forums and people would post different things. Like there's that, uh, the plane from 
was it Skyfox uh, 64 that's in Zelda and it'll actually the R-wing yeah they'll actually like attack you it's, it's like a enemy it's really weird but you can hack that in as any actor in that game and um, a lot of like just trying to find actors and replace them and do that type of stuff so you know nothing too productive but uh it definitely like even at that age was like interesting enough to me so i would just spend the summer off like in my basement doing that (laughs) nice yeah it always it really interests me hearing about doing all the game shark codes before we had the good emulation tools i don't know how people found memory addresses and stuff like that it's really insane to think about yeah it's uh like the game shark pro for n64 was like crazy because you could do like memory searches and stuff but it was really clanky like it was not as intuitive um and if something was behind a pointer like there was no way you were ever gonna find it even today it's still pretty difficult (laughs) yeah today it's a little bit easier uh just because like you can you get a larger view of like the RAM and you can uh maybe pick out some data structures or stuff and stuff and look for approximate values for pointers. But um definitely back in the day it was like crazy how people like found those things. Cool. So how did you specifically get into tazzing? Do you remember what the first TAS you saw was? Um the first TAS I saw I think was actually like a um SM64 TAS, probably. It was probably just on YouTube somewhere. And, you know, it was, like, crazy because it, it just, like, completed the game so fast. Um, and I, I don't even remember, how, like, what category it was, whether it was 16-star or 1-star or what. But it was... Um, or 0-star, I guess. I don't know. I don't really remember. I remember, like, being at a friend's house and seeing it, though, and thinking it was kind of cool. Yeah, I think... That's the answer I hear from a lot of people, and you know I don't remember what the first test I saw was either. Though, so probably SM sixty four. Yeah, it it just seemed like that one kind of came out at the right time, where it was you know YouTube was kind of picking up and kind of those tools, and it was like a crazy enough thing that this three D game that was like just kind of hard to play was you know being performed so optimally with tool assisted speedruns. So I think definitely that one like kind of hit the mark at the right time. Cool. And so then you got into doing a few published official tests yourself. Now, I think probably one of the most popular ones is Smash Brothers Break the Targets, Board the Platforms for N64 with Isotage. Yeah, so Isotage was nice enough to um, kind of bring me on with that project. And uh, that was kind of my first, first foray into a 3D game. And of course, that game's like not 3D, but you still have like the analog controls. So that was a lot of fun to do and we it was uh like a really good archival project in some ways because prior to that all those records had like youtube videos out of like proving that a task could get those times but none of the bun files were ever released like it was like really secretive for some reason so um finally having a release of those and i have to say there's um he goes by km and he he's working on uh, revising it, and he's actually found some time save on a couple of those levels. And um, he also has like gone a lot of the RTA world records and board the platform and break the targets. And yeah, so uh, I'm like, it's really exciting. But like the fact that ISO and I released that like really was like a catalyst for him to like come in and sort of like continue searching even more deeply. And we did in, indeed like improve several of the 
records and we matched all the records existing records so we beat or matched most of them and i think the biggest improvement was on link break the target and on um fox board the platforms those two were um we found some really big time saves so it was a fun task <laughs> mm. yeah very fast paced and entertaining i thought and it'll be interesting to see when the new improvements come in for that and maybe we'll have to do an episode with all three of you yeah, that would be that'd be awesome. And then now from what I understand you're very passionate about the Game Boy Advance as well, having done Drill Dozer and now Tie 2. So what led you to GBA? Um, I I mean, like I said, my first system was a Game Boy Color and I played Pokemon Blue like crazy and then of course that evolved into a Game Boy Advance and I like never really got away from the Game Boy Advance cuz uh there's like so many games. Like if you can think of any any franchise, it doesn't have to be a gaming franchise. Uh, it could be like a TV show or a movie or whatever that came out in the 90s that was geared towards kids. It definitely has a Game Boy Advance game, <laughs> which is like most of them are just shovelware, but uh, it's still kind of interesting to see those games. And, you know, some of those are pretty broken or pretty weird. So those are fun. And then the inputs are really simple because most games only use the D-pad and the A and the B button. And you might have L and R functionality, but it's like pretty simple as far as tasking to a little bit easier to quote unquote, try all the inputs and see what works best. It's not like you have these analog controls like uh, for Smash or other 3D games that there's almost like an infinite number of inputs you could do. I, I really like that. Feels like you can get a little bit closer to optimal with some of these. The thing I like about 2D too is like a lot of times I think it's a little bit easier to recognize patterns and movement because a lot of times the geometry like you see a lot more flat geometry and so if you have some optimal movement on flat ground you you know basically how to move in that case whereas 3d like it's kind of all over the place so it's very situational and what you want to do when yeah like in um banjo kazooie where it's basically impossible to find a flat piece of floor right or even with banjo how the the camera rotates behind you so you basically need like oh. a you, you basically need need like a robot to um rotate you know try every angle for you in order to find the optimal one it's it's really weird yeah so so i i like game boy advance for that reason <laughs> i look forward to the day where we can have powerful enough computers to brute force 3d tazzes <laughs> that'd be good <laughs> your quantum computers all the paths just collapse to the optimal one or something that's the, that's the first thing you do with a quantum computer <laughs> yeah collapse to the most optimal and entertaining path <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> how do i uh, train my neural network for uh entertainment for these things uh. <laughs> <laughs> Play around will still be the hardest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess we should move on to talk about this game, actually. Uh, as I briefly mentioned before, it's no longer a 3D collectathon on GBA. GBA can't handle that. It's like a 2D platformer with, I don't know exactly how to put it, like different levels, but you can choose which order and like almost like RPG elements. You can buy stuff and, <laughs> and stuff. Would you agree with that? Tie the Tasmanian Tiger, the RPG for GBA? Right? The 2D RPG action platformer? Yes. Yeah, kind of. Um, no, it, it's very... It's it's a very interesting game. It, it 
it's pretty uh, loyal to the 3D material other than being 2D, which is interesting. <laughs> it's loyal to the other two dimensions. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, no, it's it's really interesting. Uh, so I have to ask you, since you're Australian, uh, how close is did they uh, capture Australia? Uh, no. <laughs> well, maybe like rural Australia. Maybe. There's some city levels. <laughs> there is some city levels, you're right. Maybe they'll have an Adelaide level. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know, kind of like rural Australia, I guess. I never really think of it as Australia because it's cartoony, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hard to say. But yeah. Aren't Tasmanian tigers extinct though? I don't think they captured that very well. Yeah, they're they're gone. But I think there's only two Tasmanian tigers in the entire game, so <laughs> so they're not quite extinct. Yeah, actually, I think the story of the first game is that literally like all the Tasmanian tigers have disappeared except for Ty. <laughs> yeah, so um, they they kind of captured that, I guess. <laughs> Maybe it's set in 1932. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. It's it's really interesting though. Um, Chrome Studio, who made the game, recently uh, retweeted an article that was talking about Australian games and how like stereotypical most of them are, and they were saying that they actually like did a decent job of capturing different natural ecosystems in Australia. But then because the publisher was still like this American company, they had like a lot of pushback on like some of the levels to be more like stereotypical. So, you know. <laughs> Australians get so mad at like people trying to capture Australia as well. Like that Simpsons episode, I'm always hearing people say the accents were really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I-, I say the only saving grace of the game is that the studio that made it was actually Australian. So, was <laughs> well, that Chrome Studios? Yeah, it was Chrome, and then um, I think for this port, Half Brick Studios also had some part of it. And I believe they're uh, also an Australian company. And have they ever replied to your tweets? <laughs> Rarely. Uh, Chrome occasionally will. That's nice. I think they uh, they don't they're not especially proud of their uh, Game Boy Advance ports of the games, unfortunately. Oh well, we'll we'll give them more attention. Don't worry. <laughs> so there's a tie three as well on GBA. Was there a tie one? I can't remember. No, tie one did not get a GBA port. So there's tie two and tie three. So if you're looking for tie one, you're going to be really confused. Mm. And yeah, tie three physics are a bit different as well, aren't they? Yeah. So when I started this project, uh, another tasser, the name uh, Namek, he was going to originally co-author this with me because he was um, looking into tie three. He was really interested in doing that game. And he actually discovered like super jumping in that game, which then translated to tie two. And some of the physics are like kind of similar, like the super jump thing, obviously. But the main glitch that we sort of used for going fast didn't translate into tie three. Like they must have caught it and patched it out. So um, there's like definitely some differences. And even gameplay wise, uh, you use like the mech suits a lot more in tie three, which is unfortunate because they're really slow. So stupid mech suits. <laughs> yeah. You, you, trying to be cool with their giant robot suits and just making the speed game really slow. Yeah. What is this? Make a man X or her? her. 
basically. <laughs> so if you've seen this, Taz, you'll notice that it is not very standard platforming. Ty is, like, flying all over the screen and doing crazy stuff. Uh, most of this is chalked up to the booster aiming technique. Um, I know how to do this because I helped you with the Taz, but I think you have a better understanding of this means why it works. Okay, so basically, so so the way you do a booster aiming, first off, is um, you're traveling in a direction and you jump and right before you land, you throw a boomerang against the ground. And what the game essentially does is when you turn around and throw the boomerang, is the game tries and slows you down, and it does it by adding speed in the opposite direction that you're facing. So if you're traveling in the opposite direction that you're facing, the game ends up just speeding you up. And unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, you can chain these like landing boomerang throws uh, into one another. So you can just continue building up more and more speed. <laughs> and it's a... Uh, I believe it's like 32 subpixels per frame squared that you gain of acceleration. So there's uh, 256 subpixels per pixel. So it's, you know, you can end up going really fast, really quickly. And if you go fast enough, you can clip through walls and whatnot. So you, that happens a lot in the task um, and actually made routing that task kind of a challenge. So this speed, this is unbounded. It never stops is that right i mean it's a let's see it's a four byte integer so well well <laughs> come on <laughs> so yeah so so it's unbounded in the sense that you would it take you like i think i think i calculated once and it was like a month to gain that much speed <laughs> so yeah a month a month of almost frame perfect boomerang throws <laughs> right and then on top of that uh the bounding box for the level actually like will stop you so once you hit the bounding box you have to do even weirder movement in order to keep up that speed and continue building it so it would take like even longer it was a little bit ridiculous so <laughs> yeah you'll you'll never have any need to go that fast so essentially unbounded speed yeah yeah <laughs> and um clipping three walls that happens when you're moving more than the width of a tie per frame is that right yeah so if you move um 17 pixels per frame you'll clip and if it's anything less you'll um just uh the wall collision will detect it and put keep pushing you out so uh, once that occurs, then you can clip out of bounds and uh, do some other crazy stuff. <laughs> and so Ty is 16 pixels wide, right? Yeah, he is. So it's like most most sprites are that um, two to whatever power. So he should be 16. Cool. And now we both had a lot of fun tazzing the out of bounds movement. So you clip into a wall, you're out of bounds. What happens next, Mittens? Ooh, so uh, <laughs> if you're in that landing boomerang throw state, uh, collision doesn't really apply or happen, so you can keep moving. Otherwise, you get stuck in the wall. And uh, when you get stuck in the wall, it's really hard to get unstuck from the wall. The only decent ways of doing it are to jump in a direction and then the very next frame throw your boomerang so that a collision occurs from the jump to push you the opposite direction. And then the boomerang flow, uh, throw cancels the rest of the collisions. So you end up traveling in the opposite direction of the direction that you jumped. And that way you can move. But I think that actually only works 
well when you're going to the left. If you're going to the right, you actually have to like build up enough speed to like keep going to the right uh, for the most part. There's a, a few exceptions to that rule. Also, uh, if you're out of bounds, if you're not on the very bottom of the level when you're doing this, you'll tend to fall still. So um, you, it's really hard to translate upwards. You can kind of do it by alternating these collision jumps and the boomerang throws in quick succession, and you get like very little height. Like it, it might be only like eight pixels or something, like half a tie height, or no, it might be sixteen. It's like half a tie height because I think he's thirty-two pixels high. So you, uh, you know, it's, it's like not very efficient moving upwards out of bounds, but, um, you can move downwards out of bounds pretty easily. And you can, um, if you have enough speed, you can move, uh, through like small barriers pretty quickly. But if you're moving just along the bottom of the level, it's a little bit convoluted. Yeah. And usually if you're like getting into a really big thick wall, you tend to lose your speed as well. So it's often not worth it. Yeah, definitely. Um, a really interesting thing happens on that first intro level of the task. Um, so if you you can actually gain enough speed that you can like clip back in bounds uh, from like the very first clip that we do in that in the task. But we actually use a collision upwards and right to push us down left, um, so that we stay out of bounds. And then another collision to get a little bit of speed going to the right. And then we start boomerang throwing to build up speed along the bottom of the level. And then once we get enough, we're able to kind of uh, travel along the bottom of the level and um, bypass a few of the mini, like uh, the locked room uh, fights that are in that intro level. So um, like even that little detail, like it's something that like might not seem super impressive uh, just watching the task. Like, oh yeah, you're moving out of bounds, but the different types of like collision and movement that are happening then are it's it's pretty extreme so mm. yeah it's one of the more extreme parts of the taz and i think well i certainly struggle to understand it i think if if it was gonna improve this taz i think that would be where it would be but um we did a pretty good job brute well essentially like brute forcing it just testing a whole bunch of stuff out of bounds and i remember there was this one time where we were trying to move upwards out of bounds and as you said moving upwards was really hard and i spent like hours just sitting there brute forcing trying to get up i got like half a tie height up and it <laughs> took ages and uh-huh. couldn't get any further up did we ever end up solving that or did we just go take the long way so uh i, I we we did end up kind of solving that and um it's it's really kind of convoluted because you have to do the collision thing and throw a boomerang and then right after the boomerang throw you have to kind of cancel that with another jump to get a little bit of upwards speed and then another boomerang throw to like cancel collision and then it's also very dependent on like where the walls and floors and ceilings of the out of bounds areas end so um there's a chance that you'll just like fall out of out of bounds when you're trying to translate upwards and it's um kind of a pain <laughs> so i think that's what happened to me as well yeah 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 so um that's like pretty easy to do and so it's uh the out of bounds movement is definitely like n- not super well understood still uh you can gain like a little bit of an intuitive sense of it but um it's definitely like kind of brute force until we find what we need to find but the the good news is uh when you move out of bounds every frame you move 16 pixels per frame because it only like does the collisions based on ties width so you don't actually have to like build up speed you just do the collision and you move that fast 
which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. So it's like a discrete grid rather than a, you know, messy, pixely mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other technique that's, well, I think of the two big techniques is boosteringing, as we've talked about, and super jumping. So from what I understand with super jumping, so, so Ty can do a glide attack. You jump and then you press jump again to glide. He needs both boomerangs to do this, which causes problems sometimes. But basically, when you glide, you get into this state. Well, super jump is true. That's what Script Talk says it. <laughs> and so super jump is true, which means, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, this means that gravity is lowered. Is that right? Um. So so gravity is always lowered when you're in the glide state, but the, but um. Normally, the first time you glide, the game sets your uh, Y velocity to zero. And so what the true bit is uh, saying is that you've already glided once. So it's already set your Y velocity to zero. So if you try gliding again during that jump, um, you'll just like, it'll cut gravity, but you'll still fall. It won't try and reset your Y um, velocity again. Yeah. And then you can cancel if you boomerang before you hit the ground then um that super jump thing stays on true so then when you jump again it still says true but you haven't glided yet so while you're still moving upwards you can start a glide and because super jump is true it doesn't set your y velocity to zero which means that you get a lower gravity because you're gliding but you still have that upward speed from the jump which means that you jump really high Kind of like a moon kick. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's like, um, I think gravity is like cut by close to a fourth when you glide. And then because you can't glide right away out of a jump, like the very next frame, you have to wait, like, I think it's one frame. Uh, so you get like a little bit over like three times the height that you would from a normal jump, which is uh, actually like insane. <laughs> it really breaks the game. Yeah, that's like a the best description of it is you know just setting the bid and then the bit doesn't get reset so um you're able to take advantage of that one-fourth gravity uh and another side effect of this is when you're gliding it doesn't check for collision above your head because you wouldn't be moving upwards normally but in this case we are moving upwards so we can clip um now this clipping is really complicated i think you understand this better than i do man. okay yeah so with this clipping like you mentioned, uh, the devs must have not thought you could move upwards while gliding because, well, of course, they have that bit that sets your Y velocity to zero. So, of course, you're not going to move upwards. But what ends up happening is once Ty is fully embedded within a wall, the wall counts as a ground collision and it forces you out of the glide. Like, you, you land um, on the wall. And so it's not an upwards collision that occurs. It's like a... a ground collision basically like a downwards collision so then you end up getting stuck inside of walls so um you can use that to get out of bounds but then if um like a ceiling is narrow enough you might be able to glide all the way through it or you might be able to get stuck and then jump out of it right away so uh that's used all over the task to kind of open up routing also so so basically between that and the booster rating clips like we can clip vertically we can clip horizontally the only direction we can't clip is downwards so that's kind of a pain but otherwise we're uh you know either up or left and right we can clip 
Yeah, and in general, super jump clipping is better than boostering clipping because you don't have to build up all that speed. It takes quite a while to build up speed with boostering clipping, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so if you're only gaining 32 sub-pixels per frame, uh, per frame, and then you're you have to get up to like four thousand and seventy six sub pixels per frame of velocity to clip. It takes a while. You know that's close to hundred frames or a little bit over hundred frames. Yeah, and there's another sort of other thing with super jump clipping where you can basically jump off the top of the level and then you come out the bottom. And there's like two things that could happen here. The camera could snap right down to the bottom and have a massive lag spike or gradually scroll down to the bottom. In laggy levels, it's better to have the camera snap because the scroll down would be really laggy. But in not laggy levels, it's better to have the camera scroll so you don't get that big lag spike from the snap. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's uh, a couple levels where we sort of do this overflow. And I think both times we end up doing the, the snap method because the levels are big enough that having the thing scroll takes some time or it uh, creates too much lag and you lose too many frames so it and that kind of makes sense like if you're on a small level normally getting to a location on foot might not be faster than causing all these lag or might be faster than causing all these lag frames uh just to overflow whereas like on these larger laggy levels um you know going from the top down to the bottom like instantly is like a huge advantage with like routing so kind of later in the task we use that a lot more than early on yeah and it's probably more entertaining like the camera snap as well because you can actually see ty for that bit rather than waiting for the camera to scroll down yeah so actually on on one of the levels um it's a level where we have to kill six crocodiles as like the objective and for like the one of the crocs we do the overflow and unfortunately if the croc isn't on screen it can't die like it, it doesn't take damage. <laughs> so um, on that one, we definitely had to snap because otherwise we would be waiting around for the uh, screen scroll to get down to the croc so we could actually kill it, <laughs> which was like ridiculous. But but it definitely adds, I think, to the entertainment of the task. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm glad we got to route some of those into the TAS. I remember I was labbing out like this route for one of the levels and I'm like, why don't we try and go off the top of the screen and come out the bottom? We timed it and we we're so happy that it got in <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's crazy like how much uh routing was opened up for this game with all these glitches um even for the rta run like world record went down by like 58 minutes by <laughs> finding these glitches so it's kind of ridiculous um and it, i think it also helped um that we actually like screen grab maps of every single level um and those i think are linked in the a task submission text but it's it's crazy like if you look at how the levels are supposed to be played versus how the task plays them just like the amount of wall clips and uh sequence breaks and whatnot within each level is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> which is like why i'm really grateful that uh you agreed to like co-author with me because um <laughs> it like when I started this game, I was like, wow, this game's like really linear. There's not a whole lot going on. There's not, there doesn't seem to be any like real glitches or sequence breaks. Um, the only really interesting thing is like managing the boomerangs and trying to keep your boomerangs will be like interesting enough. You know, this will like, I'll be able to whip out this task like super quick and it'll just be like a nice fun little project for the summer. 
And then in like a year later, it's like, okay, we're finally done. And uh, it's absolutely broken. And every level we had to like, like test like seven routes with in order to figure out which route was the best one. So <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I remember, like, it was really good because we could each pick a route and TAS it and then compare the timings. Because usually to compare them, you do have to just TAS them. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. It's a it's a good game to co-author, definitely. Yeah. It, and, like, even just having someone else there to, like, sort of motivate you through some of the more uh, slow-going levels is helpful. <laughs> I, I, still had, I still had to get you to do the final inputs most of the time. Because I'd be like, oh, yeah, look, I did this bit. And you'd save heaps of frames. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. I think part of that was just, like, how long I'd been tasking this. Because it seems like we'd yeah, it seems like we'd keep finding things uh, as far as the glitches go, and I'd have to go back and start the task from like the very first level over and over again. I think I actually ended up doing that intro level like seven or eight times, like from the start, because we kept finding stuff. Yeah, and I'd come into this a lot later than you did, so you got a lot better at optimizing it. But I'm glad I could help with routing and whatnot. Yeah, no, you you were definitely a big help, so. <laughs> Probably, I guess, apart from the small lot, like, I save some lag frames sometimes and, you know, occasionally save some frames on jumps that you did. Uh, but, like, the main thing that I found for this was um, skipping text as well, because if a character is about to talk to you, you can pause frame perfectly and skip the text. So that probably saved a bit of time. Yeah, that definitely did. Um, that And that was also one of the reasons why I had to go back and do the intro level from the start again <laughs> so sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> you're good no that is awesome that you found that like that would have been so embarrassing had like you know i'd submitted and then uh you know the judge is like hey did you know that you could pause right before the text came comes up and save like you know probably like uh i don't know several minutes at least tens of minutes mm, wow yeah, so so it definitely would not have been sub fifteen without that find. So that was definitely a good find. <laughs> but as far as I remember, there was some weird routing with that pause thing because if you so usually to end a level, a character will talk to you, and if you skip that, you don't get the opals for ending the level. Opals are the currency in this game, and then we needed a certain amount, so we weren't sure which ones of those to skip. <laughs> yeah, um, that was kind of a ridiculous problem to be honest with you um because uh so the games normally will like bring up some text and then do this like special fade out whenever you successfully complete the levels and that text plus fade out normally is longer than just pause exiting or skipping the text and pause exiting so um because we were pause exiting all the levels we weren't collecting the opals (laughs) and so um, we ended up having to buy one of the mech suits and one of the boomerangs in order to complete the level. And there's like an optimal place in the run to buy them um, after the second boss. And so we ended up having to like kind of weigh our options of like, is it would it be worth trying to route in these opals or would it be better to just um, skip one of the pause exits and take a little bit of time loss exiting one of the levels so on the Croc Escort mission, we ended up uh, not doing a pause exit, which I think wasted, it It wasn't even that many frames, it was like 20 frames, 
but then that gave us enough opals to buy everything that we needed to buy. Yeah, and then there was weighing that up against collecting loose opals throughout the levels from killing enemies and stuff, but that ended up being slower doing it that way. Yeah, and enemies only drop like one opal, whereas <laughs> um <laughs> whereas like completing the level gives you like um you know, several hundred opals. So <laughs> definitely pretty clear which choice to take right 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 um and actually it this game's weird because uh if you're doing like 100 percent, the game all the levels combined plus like most of the opals along the route don't give you enough money to buy all the boomerangs so if you were to do a hundred percent task of this uh, a good portion of it would just be farming money um <laughs> which is like you know not a great thing in order to buy all the boomerangs. It's kind of sad. So when when's 100% Tasman? <laughs> uh, I think I need a <laughs> good break from Ty before uh, I get back to that. So, <laughs> Come on, you've only done the first level seven times. Come on. <laughs> well, luckily with that first level, the only thing you have to do is complete it. So that should at least just copy from the any percent task. <laughs> now I'll find some new techniques, so then we won't be able to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember, like, we were tazzing the last level, and I thought that I had found this new technique that saved a bunch of time on, like, every single jump. It was, like, alternating pressing right and not pressing right if you're at full walking speed. And I was like, oh my god, I found this new technique. And then, like, you were messaging me, like, oh, I've almost finished the final boss. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Luckily, I looked a little bit more into it, and I was wrong. Like, I thought I was breaking the speed cap a little bit, but it turns out that I wasn't. So, you, you're off the hook this time. <laughs> I almost made you redo the whole thing. Actually, so, um, I know on a jump, if you're just doing, like, a normal jump, and you're, like, the max speed alternating right and not right, or left and not right left, um, will give you, like, a slight speed boost. Um, and... Um, that was actually something that, uh, Namek also had pointed out. So if you go through, um, there's not a whole lot of times that we use it because, um, a lot of times we're going faster than that normal max walking speed for jumps, but there, I believe there are a couple times where I kind of use it to eke out a few subframes here and there. So, um, there are a few spots throughout the tasks. <laughs> Um, I know it doesn't work with just walking, though. It has to be in a jump, and like I said, with jumps normally we're uh, moving faster than we're supposed to anyways, so um, alternating right and forward would just drop our speed to whatever that max walking speed is, <laughs> which is not what we want, so... Maybe that, that one that you're describing is very similar to what I found, but yeah, when I tested the thing that I found again, I found the alternating was like going a little bit slower mm. but, um interesting yeah, <laughs> there there are a few um times where the quote-unquote velocity and the actual change in position don't quite match and i i don't know exactly why that is but that might be one of those situations because because you know how script talk how we uh, are pulling the velocity data and then we're also pulling the delta x and delta y from the position delta x is so much better <laughs> yeah so delta x is like the true change and then velocity is good because it lets us know that like if we're up against a wall we're still gaining speed <laughs> you know so 
we we sort of need both of those, but definitely like the delta x is kind of the the true value, and sometimes that won't quite reflect what it says the velocity is doing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so there's another technique in here that I still don't understand. You always have to test these bits, but um, when when Ty does like this, so it's sort of like booster ranging in that you're building up speed, but Ty is glide sliding through the air. So how does this one work? It's in a few spots of the Taz. Okay, so this only works on stationary platforms. And, well, no, I shouldn't say that because I've gone it to work on the ground too. So <laughs> I take that back. Um, what? So, so the way that this one works is um, you basically have to cancel a glide by landing on a platform. So normally since glide, uh, you'll, you're coming down, it, if you get close enough to the ground, it will force you to land. But since we have our super jump, we're able to jump upwards using a glide. But then once your feet are close enough to a platform or the ground, it will force you to land. But it doesn't force you to land right on the ground. It forces you to land like on this invisible platform above the ground. And then you'll be in an idle state for a frame. And then you'll start falling uh, to the actual platform, uh, which is like... It's, it's really hard to kind of explain, um, but then if you kind of cancel that glide canceling on this invisible platform with a boomerang throw, you're not on a platform, but you're in a landing state with the boomerang, and I, I just think the game doesn't quite know what the next state to advance you into is, since you're not actually on the ground. So you just keep building up that um, speed of... Uh, you know, 32 subpixels per frame squared um, without having to throw extra boomerangs or anything. So it's a really, really odd one. <laughs> it's also really difficult to transition out of. Um, so you just kind of travel horizontally left or right um, at that constant accelerating speed. Um, and to cancel out of it, you either have to get rid of one boomerang and then um, turn around to face the direction that you're traveling, which then cuts your speed down and you start falling, or you need to get rid of both boomerangs and then you can keep your speed and start falling. But the obvious issue there is that you lose both your boomerangs. So there's not like a real clean way of getting out of it. Um, the state also ends if you collide with a wall, um, since you are kind of like airborne. Yeah, I remember getting out of that being a pain. And one thing that we... I don't think we mentioned before is, yeah, you really want to hold on to those boomerangs. One for gliding, because you need two boomerangs. And also for booster ranging, because, well, you need boomerangs to do that. And um, if you're booster ranging on, like, a tree branch or something, then when you throw your boomerangs, they go through the branch. So you can't just throw them into the ground and collect them again. You have to, like, really strategically throw them in it can get quite difficult yeah it's it's very difficult especially if you're out of bounds and you're trying to keep your boomerangs because they just kind of go everywhere and same thing with platforms so on platforms sometimes we'll like throw them against an enemy just so that they rebound fast enough that we can use them again or um we'll you know throw them against a solid wall that's close to the platform to you know hopefully they bounce off that quick enough since like you said they don't reflect off of platforms they just go through them so uh definitely like the most valuable resource in this game is your boomerangs 
and it was like i guess my intuition of like oh this game will be interesting to task trying to you know manage your boomerangs and keep both of them but it like not to the extent that it actually ended up being which was is kind of ridiculous um so for every super jump you need to have both boomerangs with you and for every boost you need at least one so very hard to keep those going yeah, and with boosteranging, you have to throw a boomerang like every seven or eight frames to keep building up your speed. So you need a lot of them, and you only have two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even the um, even as you're traveling on the ground, depending on your speed, you might have to throw them out in front of you. Or if you're going up a hill, you want to throw them out in front of you instead of down or down in front of you, um, because even the slopes will affect how the boomerangs kind of bounce and if you're able to recollect them or not. It's uh, you know, very an interesting challenge <laughs> to say the least if only we had analog inputs <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, there's a another interesting thing though is that you can cancel boomerang throws with a jump and you can cancel a jump with a boomerang throw so um it's you lose you're not moving every other frame when you do that but um it is a way that if you're on a platform you can build up a little bit of speed while uh holding on to your boomerangs I really love that method, but yeah, you always used to find better ways to not have to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's also really good if you're landing and um, about to throw a boomerang, uh, because sometimes if you're landing on like a a ledge, uh, your boomerang will kind of get caught on like the wall part of it, and you won't be able to recollect it, and you won't be able to throw it in front of you and down because it'll, you'll lose all your speed. So, um. Definitely like throwing down and then canceling it with a jump and then throwing down down forward um, is kind of the way to do those. So uh, there's some clever places that we can kind of implement that. Good. And there's one more glitch I have in mind. This is like one of my favorite glitches is when you have a level where the goal is basically kill eight enemies, for example, and there's these eight enemies all over the level. There's this really good glitch you can do where you can basically get two kills at once. And the idea is what you do is you kill the enemies with your boomerangs, but you line it up so that both of your boomerangs hit the enemy on the same frame and that kills the enemy. And then because both of your boomerangs hit the enemy on the same frame, it actually counts as two kills. So you only have to go around to four of the eight enemies of the level and that opens up routing significantly. You can also improve that because there's this upgrade you can buy called the multi-rang and that uh, lets you fire, I think, unlimited boomerangs, but you have to space them out a few frames apart. And then you could get, you know, more than two kills on the one enemy and make those levels really short. However, um, with the multi-rang power-up, you can't boost rang, so that's why we didn't end up using that and the opal requirement and shop visits and stuff. But yeah, I really, really like that glitch. <laughs> yeah, that's a really cool glitch. Um and the the way around the losing your boost would either be um you know do that level last and buy things right the multi ring right before it or um you can buy the flame rings i believe uh, also let you boost um like the normal boomerangs so uh you could buy both the multi ring and the flame rings and then um do that but the way the task currently is it would not have the time loss of having to go and do a second trip to the shop or having to collect extra opals earlier on would not have 
accounted for the time loss that we would have had from not doing it or the time save in the level is not equal to the time loss from those things. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I think even if we could get the multi-rank in there, imagine trying to set up hitting an enemy with eight boomerangs all on the same frame. That'd be real fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I kind of imagine the best we could do would be four uh, boomerangs, uh, maybe. And even that I think would be a challenge, but with that you would only kill two and, the way that that level works is um, there's kind of these four quadrants, so uh, it would kind of save one quadrant trip for us, but those um, it doesn't take that long to get between quadrants, so I definitely know it would not be worth it for the task. The, the funny thing, though, that you mentioned about this glitch is there's only three levels where the objectives kill X number of enemies, and um, all of them work a little bit different in how they count the points. So the boomerang overlap works for um, the last of those levels, which is uh, Crouching Koala Hidden Frill is the name of it. Um, <laughs> the uh, An earlier uh, one called Lion Village, we also do a double kill glitch, but the way that one works is um, points are counted when the enemy despawns, and there's two ways of despawning the enemy. You can either watch their death animation or you can get them off screen. And if you do both those on the same frame, the count is double. So on that level, we actually like waste a little bit of time hanging out like right after we kill the enemies, just so that we can get them off frame on the, the same frame as they despawn. And then um, the third level is the level where you have to kill six crocs. And the issue with that one is that the crocs, it's another despawn uh, that counts. So their death animation despawns them. And once they despawn, they count as a kill. But the issue is that um, if you get them off screen, they don't despawn. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> yeah, so so that one's annoying because um, in theory it should work the same as the Lion Village one, but it doesn't because they just don't despawn if they go off screen. <laughs> yeah, so that one we end up actually having to kill all six. Maybe they had a different person program each level. Yeah, they must have because it's weird that none of them behaved the same. <laughs> mm. Cool. So I think that's all the glitches and techniques that we have to talk about, unless you have any others that you want to cover. Um, I don't believe so. I think that's everything. There might be some very situational one, but um, I can't think of what it would be. So. Yes, and I won't keep you here for four hours to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so if you haven't seen the tie to Taz, it's up on Taz videos right now. And we've actually just submitted it, which leads me to a very, a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And now that I have the incentive to talk about it, I'm going to. So, uh, like, I see a lot of people commenting on Taz's on YouTube, for example, saying, oh, this is a great Taz. And, like, I love getting all those comments, you know, when I see them on my Taz's, and I'm sure you do too, Mittens. Mm -hmm. uh, generally... Like, there's a bit of a disconnect, I find, because the thing that really matters with the Taz doing well is the ratings on Taz videos. So, yeah, if you're a listener and you have a Taz video account, probably the best place to comment on the Taz, especially if it hasn't been accepted yet, is to do it in the Taz discussion forum. So, for example, right now for Tai 2, suppose you wanted to give it a yes vote and a good comment. Just suppose you did for some reason. Um... You would look at, like, newest submissions on the Taz Videos homepage and then click on it and go discuss this submission. 
and then you get rating and voting and commenting and whatnot. And like, yes, of course, I have the incentive to say this now because we've just submitted it and it hasn't been accepted yet. But if you want to support the Tazas that you like, it's always good to go and rate and vote on those Tazas if you enjoyed them or if you didn't. So, yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't know about is how important the Taz videos ratings are in the success of the Taz. And yeah, it's something I've wanted to talk about for a while on this show, but we haven't been in the situation yet where we've had a Taz that has just been submitted. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I, I think there's definitely like a little bit of a disconnect there, um, just as far as like, even like navigating, um, like, because when you submit ta- a task, you kind of have like a submission text and you have um, a discussion forum that appears and uh, you can kind of, if we post a video, you can watch it on either of those things or even find like on the Tasser's YouTube. So like, I think that sort of those comments of like, wow, this is a good task or whatnot kind of get distributed throughout or um, just kind of go, you know, unsaid, but it definitely does help as far as um, task videos kind of deciding what's a popular task and uh, you know, how to, what tier to put those things in and whatnot. So. Yeah. And like, you'll have a judge on task videos and they generally just look at the feedback on task videos to decide whether or not to accept it and then what kind of tier to put the movie in so it's always good to do that especially if you're very passionate about a Taz. yeah and the other thing that's really good is that on Taz videos a lot of Tazers will put a submission text up with their Taz. so for Tai 2 for example Mins has kindly done a very good write-up of all the glitches and stuff we've talked about a lot but this includes stuff about uh, individual levels and stuff as well and of course the video of the Taz is in the submission text as well so that's always good and then you can see all stuff like re-record counts and when it was submitted, who made the Taz, and lots of good stuff like that. What emulator it was made on, download the button file for the emulator, etc. So it's always good to look on Taz videos. Yeah, and the, the other thing with looking on uh, Taz videos under the workbench is that um, these are, like like you said, Tazes that are waiting to be uh, accepted or judged. And, um, you know, so you kind of get to see some of these Tazes beforehand and even just following some of the discussions of like, well, there are frames to save here and why did you do this? Like it gives a whole lot more insight into like the tasks. So if you're really interested, it's definitely like a cool place to like hang out um, and see tasks before they're even published. Mm. And that's uh, the other thing that you can do as well as look in the forums on TAS videos and then people would be discussing tasks that aren't even finished yet. So that's a whole nother level you can go to if you're really interested. And then, of course, bigger communities will have Discord channels and whatnot. I really like looking at um, whips in the different discussion forums because a lot of times if a tasser starts tassing something, posts a whip, uh, like a few months later, they might post another whip that's like considerably improved. Um, and seeing that progression is really neat, in my opinion. Hmm. Not to mention, if you see a whip and you spot somewhere where they might be able to improve, you can tell them then rather than when they finish the Taz in several months' time. <laughs> yeah. If you notice they weren't doing the pause glitch to skip text. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that wraps up our discussion about Tai 2 and, you know, where to find stuff on Taz videos. Uh, it's always good to keep your eye on newer submissions in Taz videos. Lots of good stuff coming in almost every day. So, uh, Mittens, are there any Tazas that you would recommend people watch? Any favorites of yours? Oh, um, I mean, I'm, 
I'm obviously a Banjo Kazooie speedrunner, so um, the task that uh, Hyper Resonance did of 100% is interesting. I know he's working on an any percent task, which I'm really, really excited for. And that cow guy is doing a low A button press challenge for Banjo Kazooie, which is actually like ridiculous. Unfortunately, I like that one. Uh, you will probably have to join the Banjo Discord. Uh, we have like a Banjo Tassing channel uh, where like whips are posted, but that one's very, very interesting. All the glitches and techniques he he's been using to like save an A press. And um, Banjo is not traditionally thought of like a very glitch heavy game, but um, the few that we have, he's definitely making good use of. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of banjo sciencey stuff and it blows my mind seeing his videos so i'm i'm sure it'll blow anyone's mind who's vaguely interested in banjo at all there's some crazy stuff in there that isn't useful in normal speedruns but is in the abc and then uh the the other task that i can think of is um i know gogo's been working on grunty's revenge and you even did a episode on here about it and uh, I'm really excited for that one because, of course, it's my two loves. It's Banjo and Game Boy Advance. So that's like right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So when's Banjo Pilot Tasmans? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was actually one game I looked at right before I started doing Thai. And it was just... It, I know that there's like a technique for saving time now, but it, it's very much like follow the track and you just don't lose time <laughs> follow the track and manipulate rng to get good items <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if anyone's ambitious enough to undergo that project yeah what a project and are there any other tasks on the horizon humans, or are you still getting stuff together after taito I'm not quite sure. Uh, I've been talking with uh, Easy Games 69 because I know he's really big into Game Boy Advance tasking, and we've uh, talked about maybe co-authoring something in the future. But you know, I'm so fresh off of Tie Two, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I want to do. Yeah, and juggling that with your uh, masters and um, other sciencey game things would be difficult as well. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Um, Right now, just kind of probably going to try out a few games and see what sticks. Don't forget, we can always do Daydream with Davey. <laughs> That's true. And there's a script talk module for it now. So Oh, there is. There is. <laughs> <laughs> Best game. Oh, cool. So uh, where can we find you? And so are you most active? Um, if you're wanting to follow me for speedrun stuff, uh, probably Twitter is best. Um, and I also have my YouTube account that I normally only post like banjo stuff to or uh, task stuff to. So both those would be good. Um, I don't remember my username off the top of my head, so I'm sure you'll link those in the episode notes. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. And yeah, I think that wraps us up for today. So yeah, tie two. Be sure to check out the Taz. Rate and vote if you can. Or if you did if you liked it or if you didn't like it. Always good to hear feedback. And thanks for coming on, Mittens. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for making this Taz. Thanks for me making this Taz with you. Yeah, thank <laughs> thanks for yeah. helping me with this. You really did, so I really appreciate that. Uh, I beg to differ, but it was fun anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. And thanks everyone for listening. Catch you later. Later.